Well, thank you guys so much for coming this morning. I'm so grateful to, to look out here in the congregation and see people that I know and that I love and that have come to support us in our launching day and to see folks that um, are even a, a product of the ministries that we have going on here at the church. Uh, Chris, I believe, uh, she... She started connecting with Colin through the food pantry, and so we get to see fruit of our labors and things like that. And it's amazing um, to see people's families here in the pews with them as well and, and folks that are visiting. So we're so grateful, and welcome to our grand opening, right? So it's been, uh, let's give Jesus a hand clap for that, you know? And let's give Joanna a big round of applause, too, because... You know, we prayed for Joanna. We've been praying for somebody to help us with music. And uh, Joanna came and she filled that void. And she's, she does a really good job. And we have a really great worship leader here with us. And so it's amazing. So if you have your Bibles, open to Colossians. Open to Colossians. And we'll be in chapter 1. And uh, as you find your way there, I'm actually going to pray. And I'm going to pray for uh, one of our other churches, uh, a church that supports us, that sent us out, City Light Mosaic. Um, it's actually their birthday today, so we get to celebrate our birthdays, you know, next year at the same time, so we'll do a big party together. So it's pretty, pretty awesome how God works things out, right? So let's pray for them and for their, their uh, Sunday morning uh, this morning. So Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for your grace and for your mercy. And as we open your, your word this morning, I pray, God, that you'd help me to preach as a dying man to dying people, and God, that we would all hear your word, receive it, um, and, and God, that we would apply it to our lives. So help us this morning with that labor. And so uh, also, Lord, I, I pray for City Light Mosaic this morning as they are celebrating their third birthday. I pray, God, that the folks that they've invited would um, show up, and I pray, God, that they would be able to see the fruits of their labor, and I pray, Father, that you would continue to bless that church um, in that area at the Field Club area for years to come. Father God, I just ask for your blessing for them providentially, um, financially, um, um, that you would continue to send people, that you would continue to help that church grow, and God, that you'd provide all of their needs. And Father, we love you. We thank you so much. It's in your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So if you found your way to Colossians chapter 1, please stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter 1, and we'll just be in the first two, two verses this morning as we kind of do an introduction. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. You can be seated. To sum this sermon up, and really to sum the entirety of the book of Colossians up, we could sum it up in three simple words. Christ is all, or Christ is enough, right? Christ is all is how I would sum this sermon up, and so you're going to hear me say those three words over and over and over again today, and I hope that it's not too repetitive, but I hope when we walk out of here, you'll understand and know that Christ is all. See, the Colossian church where this letter was written to, was located in the town of Colossae, which was once actually a big booming town and it was growing, but it was actually now declining steadily due to the larger cities that were kind of shadowing over it. And although Paul is writing this letter to this church, he's never actually formally met them. He wasn't the one responsible for planting the church, for starting the church. See, during Paul's more than two-year ministry um, in the town of Ephesus, a man named Epaphras was converted and, and Philemon actually as well, he was converted and they later took the gospel back to Colossae and they planted a church inside of the house of a man named Philemon. And now as, as Paul sits in prison, because this is where he's writing this 
um, letter from. He writes Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, all from his first imprisonment in Rome and during house arrest. He writes this letter as he sits in, in prison. Epaphras comes to him either to serve him or maybe he was possibly in prison with him as well. And during this time, Epaphras communicates with Paul the worry that he had of the existence of the Colossian church. See, he was worried because this false teaching was creeping in. This false teaching was creeping in and it threatened the life and threatened um, um, the church in general. So in order to understand the book of Colossians, we gotta understand the, the heresy that they faced. And so the heresy that they faced in a false teaching is, is what's known as the beginning of, of Gnosticism. And so that word is actually kind of like, it means the no, right? And so it's the original, you know, if you know, you know. You know that saying that everybody's saying, I, it's I-Y-K-Y-K, if, if you're not a hipster, which I'm not. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? I-Y-K-Y-A, if you know, you know. It's the original, if you know, you know. The Gnosticism, and so they, they, they're called that because they had this secret knowledge that nobody else had, and it was how they would uh, strive towards God. And so this sect of Gnosticism and Colossae, it actually involved a very unique and twisted combination of philosophies and beliefs. So in this, um, this heresy, they, they embodied parts of Jewish legalism. So they were still trying to keep um, the fact that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved, or you had to keep these certain festivals, or you couldn't eat these certain meats, right? They also held these um, uh, beliefs from Eastern, uh, Eastern mysticism, which is like secret passwords and this um, worship of angels and these weird, crazy visions that they were pursuing. They had even trinklings of something known as asceticism, which is like harsh treatment of your body, so uh, to promote holiness or harsh, harsh treatment of your body so that you could um, um, kind of put aside your flesh, which they believed was evil, which is pretty wild and out there stuff. And all of that was mixed in and intermingled with beliefs of Christianity. So there's kind of a little bit of a mess going on there. And so because of some of the beliefs of Gnosticism, the, the false teachers carried the heresy further uh, in detail in, in, in saying that Jesus actually wasn't God. And well, we know that's not true. And so Paul's pretty alarmed by this. And although Paul had never met the church, the fact that Jesus is the creator and the fact that Jesus is the redeemer is absolutely irrefutable to Paul. There's, that's absolutely cannot, it cannot go on. So even though he hasn't met the church, he writes to the church to let them know that this isn't open to, uh, open to, to, to discussion, to contradiction. So in his alarm, Paul kindly and passionately and pastorally and patiently writes this very heartfelt letter to protect the church, to instruct the church, and to defend the creator and redeemer, Jesus Christ. And this letter highlights Uh, Jesus as creator and redeemer brighter than anywhere else in the scriptures. Nowhere else in the Bible can you find such explicit language of Jesus being creator and redeemer and sustainer. His, His deity, his essence of who he is is clearly portrayed here in the scriptures. And something that I want you to know is what kind of, what starts this argument is that people sort of believe and even, and even here and, and, this church in Colossae, those false teachers, they had this temptation to attempt to add to Christ. So they, they, it was, it's like Jesus and, right? It's Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that or let's try to add to Christ something that either we do or something else that needs to happen. They didn't think that Jesus was sufficient. He didn't think that he was enough. 
They wanted to add to Christ in deed and in character and practice and discipline and humility and in knowledge. And since this is the temptation, Paul exalts the sufficiency and the superiority of Jesus with language known only here in these four chapters, brief chapters of the New Testament. So there's nowhere else, no other book in the Bible in the New Testament that presents such a clear and complete picture of the fullness of Christ, of the work of Christ and and, and how all of this, how the fact that Jesus is all affects our every single day life. So the view of Jesus that the Colossians had uh, impacted, or the view of Jesus um, that the Colossians had impacted the way that they lived. The view that they had impacted the way that they worshiped. The view that they had imp- impacted their relationships. The view that they had of Jesus um, impacted the way that they practiced Christianity. The view of Jesus that the Colossians had impacted their personal walk even with him. And so Paul desperately wants this church to know that Christ is all. And Paul experienced that, that, that Christ is all as he's traveling to Damascus with arrest warrants in his hands, going to arrest Christians. Paul's on his way to Damascus and he's knocked down on his behind and a great light from heaven and, and a voice from heaven says what? Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? So Paul came to, came to know that Christ is all during that encounter um, on the Damascus road when he was saved. And then after he, he made it to Damascus and, 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 the chains, or, and the scales were wiped away from his eyes and, and he came to believe and he went and he was baptized, he came to find out that Christ is all, that his whole practice of Judaism, trying to keep um, the law, trying to earn his own way to heaven, keeping these days and keeping these celebrations and all the ceremonial rituals and cleansings, it, it wouldn't mean anything. It doesn't add up. It, it can't get you to heaven. In fact, the only thing that can get you there is Christ is all, it, Jesus Christ alone, and that's what Paul experienced. And Timothy, as, as he mentions him, and I just kind of want to caveat that, that Timothy might have helped him write this letter, but he's mainly mentioning Timothy's name here because Timothy's well-known here to the church. He's well-known as a partner um, in the gospel with, with Paul. It's, it's not that Paul and Timothy wrote this because Paul writes in first person most of the time all the way through. So it's not saying that, he's not saying like us and them or anything like that. He's saying more or less like you and I. Um, so Timothy isn't necessarily an author, but Christ, Timothy came to know that Christ is all. His grandmother, Lewis, or uh, his grandmother and his mother, Eunice and Lois, they, they taught him the scriptures from a young age, according to what Paul said. And so from those scriptures that he read, the Old Testament scriptures, Timothy even came to know that Christ was all through one day when, when Paul was able to share the gospel with him or when Timothy came to salvation and he heard, uh, Paul heard about how great Timothy was and how he was following the Lord and Timothy came and he followed Paul and he gave his whole life to Christ and he decided to follow him and be a missionary, and, and go and set in order things that were lacking and, and doing, uh, following in, in Paul's footsteps. And so we're not going to preach all four chapters this morning, and I just really kind of want to give us a 30,000-foot view, and I, and I kind of want to just celebrate, you know, where God's brought us over the last few years, and then I just want to get out of this because we'll preach the next few uh, verses next week. But to give you guys the 30,000-foot view, I believe that the book of Colossians is best dealt with in two major sections. Number one, the supremacy of Christ, the fact that he is, he is all. He, there's, he's above all things. There's no power higher than him. He is supreme, and we see that in chapters one and two. And then the second section is, is what do we do because Christ is supreme? Chapters three and four would be walk in Christ. So the first section, the supremacy of Christ, and the second section, to walk in Christ. 
And so in chapter 1, we see that Christ is all as Paul portrays Jesus to be the preeminent one, meaning that, that he, is, he is before all things, meaning that he is above all things. And, and he even says uh, in verse 15 of chapter 1 that Christ is the firstborn among creation, not meaning that Christ was created, but firstborn meaning rank. The firstborn um, child had rank above the other children in, in, that, in that day and age. And so he's not pointing that Jesus was created, but in fact that he has rank over all creation and then paul continues to go on in verse 16 calling him not only the firstborn of creation but also the creator and then also in verse 16 he says that he's the goal of this creation of creation and in verse 17 he calls him the eternal sustainer in verse 18 he calls him the head of the church and then in verses 19 and 20 which is worthy to be read for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross in verses 19 and 20 paul calls him the bloody savior so christ is the preeminent one the firstborn the creator the goal of creation the eternal sustainer the head of the church and the bloody savior and in chapter two we see that christ is the sufficient one that christ is sufficient over philosophy and over these ideologies that was plaguing the colossian church that he's sufficient over this mystical teaching and and over these extreme practices and we see in verses eight through ten paul says see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spiritual or spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity, uh, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He is sufficient. And then chapters three, or chapter three, we will see in this second section that since Christ is all, that since he is supreme, that since he is sufficient, Paul calls the church then to walk in him. And he says then in, in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. See that at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And in chapter 4, we see some closing remarks. And we see Paul mention again, since Christ is all, since he is the supreme, since he is sufficient, then it ought to show in our daily lives through prayer and thanksgiving and our conduct and um, witness with others. And then also in chapter 4, we see instructions about Onesimus, the runaway slave. And I kind of say that because after we finish Colossians, we're going to jump into Philemon real quick for four weeks because they go hand in hand. And Onesimus, he ran away from Philemon. He was a runaway slave. And so here, in the end, he, he mentions Onesimus, and he also delivers this letter along with Philemon's letter to be delivered to the Colossian church. So we see a lot of things here in Colossians. In chapter 3, I think one of the biggest things that we'll study, things that mean a lot to me is we'll see God's plan and his design for the household. We'll see um, how we're dead to our old selves but raised to walk in newness of, of, of life, how we are to walk in the new creation. But in a point of application, how, how does this letter written to a declining city in ancient Rome or ancient Asia apply to us today? 
So how does this letter written in the first century apply to us as 21st century Christians? How does this letter of Colossians apply to us at a Mago Day church or us as Christians in Omaha, Nebraska? This letter applies to us today because 2,000 years later, Christ is still sufficient. Amen? Christ is still all. Christ is still supreme. And Christ is still the answer. It applies to us today because it's the same. And the way that we view Christ, guys, impacts the way that we live. And I'll say it one more time. The way that we view Christ impacts the way that we live. And so if we come to understand that Christ is all, it's going to impact, it's going to penetrate, it's going to permeate all the the nooks and crannies of our lives, and it's going to impact our walk, our talk, and how we live with everybody around us. We live in a culture today that so desperately needs to be reminded that Christ is all. Amen? You don't have to watch the news for very long to see that. You don't have to walk and have conversations with your neighbors for very long before you, uh, before you can see that truth. See, our world, our country, our city, our neighborhoods needs the, books, or needs the book of Colossians. They need Jesus. They must come to know that all things have been created through him, for him, and to him. And, and, and that Christ is the creator, and that Christ is the sustainer, and that Christ is the goal of creation. Our culture needs to know the bloody and gruesome truth. Our cultures needs to know the bloody and gruesome truth. That by the blood of his cross, by the blood that was poured out from his wound-stricken body, Christ reconciled all things to himself. Amen. Our culture needs to know the bloody, gruesome truth. That Christ made us sinful men and women right with the holy God through the bloody cross. They need to know that there is a God who created them, who loves them, and who gave up his life that we might be saved. I think that our culture believes that Christ is just simply a morally good person. A lot of times people have no problem believing that Jesus was alive or that Jesus lived, right? But the thing is, is that they deny that he was creator, they, or that he is creator. They deny that he is the savior, that he's the only way to heaven. So our culture needs to come face to face with the stark reality that Jesus is the creator, the all-sustainer, and the sovereign savior, they need to know that the way that they view Christ will impact how they live presently and the way that they view Christ will impact the way that they live eternally or where they live eternally. And this book applies to us today because we are the church and this is written to Christians and we are Christians. And so I want you guys to remember that, that the temptation, as I said before, is to go beyond what God has written. The temptation is to add to Christ the temptation is, is to try to say Christ plus this, Christ and my good works, Christ and all of these things that I'm doing for you, Jesus. And, and I want you to think, like, that's what happens to the Colossians. This false teaching crept in that was Christ plus this. It was a temptation to add to Christ. I mean, they were a great church. The gospel was bearing fruit. It was increasing. We'll see that next week. It was an amazing church, and Paul boasted on their behalf But slowly, those who sought to add to Jesus crept in and got them all delusional. And before long, these people who sought to add to Christ began to lead others from the church astray. 
and this teaching, this fact of trying to add something to Jesus, that Jesus isn't enough, that Jesus isn't God, impacted the unity and the harmony of the church. And before long, the Colossian church had a fight on their hands. So isn't this also true of the American church? Isn't this true uh, that from all directions it seems to be the American church as a whole is, is, is attacked and pushed with false teachings and doctrines that just don't make sense. We're pushed against by people who seek to add to Christ. And, and today we, we battle against the same kind of heresy that impacted the Colossians. See, there's countless denominations. There's countless schools of thoughts. There's countless philosophies that wage war against the fundamental principles of Christianity. There's all kinds of people saying that Christ was not human, that Christ was not God. There's all kinds of philosophies and and, and religions and denominations that are saying it's got to be Christ plus um, um, baptism or Christ plus the Lord's Supper, Supper or Christ plus this or Christ plus that. They're denying that Christ is all and that he is enough. So there's still people today like I said, that deny that Jesus is God, yet they all try to stand underneath the umbrella of Christianity. There's people today who deny that Jesus is human, yet they still try to stand under the umbrella of Christianity. There's people today who highlight the worship of angels and visions and spiritual gifts over Jesus, who try to add to what God has said by adding these heavy weights of legalism to their lives. So this book applies to us today because we battle a lot of the same issues. And so we need to know, church, where we stand and we gotta learn how to fight, right? So the book of Colossians gives us a, a proper view of Christ that enables us to stand firm. And so can I be honest a little bit here? Like, Christianity isn't an easy road, right? I mean, he calls us to pick up our cross and to follow him. It's not an easy road, but I am afraid that we make it so unnecessarily hard on ourselves at times. I don't know if I'm the only one who does that, but I know it's not an easy road. I know that we're gonna, we wage a war against spiritual powers in the heavenly realms, things we can't see, and I, I know that we have an enemy, and I know that people are hard, right? But we make it so unnecessarily hard on ourselves at times. And remember, the temptation is to add to Christ, and we all do it at some point in time in our lives, or at least we all have done it. We all try to add something to Christ, or we have done it before, And it's not that we don't trust the finished work of Jesus on the cross for uh, our saving faith, but we sort of kind of like forget about what he's done for us. We go through these seasons where we think that we have to do this or we have to do that in order to be right with God, and it has a huge effect on us mentally. And I was talking with the pastor this last week, and we thought that a good example of that was the read your Bible in a year plan. I'm not saying don't read your Bible. Don't hear me say that. But the read your Bible in a year plan who, who sucks really bad at that in here next to me? I am the worst. Me and Ben started this thing a long time ago. I've, I just hope he forgot that I forgot to do it. We haven't, this is the first time we've had a conversation about it since then, you know? So, I mean, I suck so bad at reading your Bible, Bible in a year. Why do we want to read our Bibles in a year? Most of us, I promise you, at least for me, is so I can be like, oh, I read my Bible in a year and I'm a good Christian, right? If the goal, the goal of reading the Bible is what? The goal of reading the Bible is to spend time with the Lord, amen? The goal of reading the Bible is to connect with God. The goal of reading the Bible is to experience God through his living word. I can't tell you how many times I've been doing that Bible, year, Bible in a year plan for months and months and months, and I was dry as a bone because I didn't experience God one time. 
because I didn't experience God one time because I felt like this was something I had to do. I added a rock into my backpack that just weighed me down more and more. It was a legalistic weight. Not saying don't read your Bible. So don't say Pastor Tanner said don't read your Bible and I don't have to anymore. But the goal of it is to spend time with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord. I think we forget that Colossians 2 and chapter 14 says that Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus paid it all. We don't have to pay anything else. His blood is sufficient once and for all for the sins of all who would believe. He has nailed the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He has set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So why do we put ourselves through seasons of mental and spiritual self-harm? I say that because he's battling asceticism here. People who would beat themselves and put themselves through heart treatment, self-abasement to to try to seem humble and and mistreat their flesh. Why do we go through mental asceticism? Why do we treat ourselves so stinking hard thinking that we can add anything to our salvation instead of just trusting that Christ is all? Why do we do that? I think we forget that we've already been bought. We forget that he's paid it all and we forget that he's done enough. So we need this book today in our lives and in our local church because a correct view of Jesus will dictate the way that we live. You see, if Jesus is all, if Jesus is enough, if Jesus is supreme, if Jesus is creator, if Jesus is sustainer and and, and savior, which he is, then as a church, we must allow this truth to permeate every area of our lives. And this is this is our, our mission statement on the wall, uh, to multiply disciples and churches that live and look like Jesus wherever we're planted. This is how we will live and look like Jesus wherever we're planted. When the truth of who Christ is drives us forward. When the cru- truth of who Christ is drives us forward, we will lead our homes as God intended. We'll exalt Jesus in our relationships with others. We'll have a powerful witness with those outside of the church and our personal walk will be one of rest and of gratitude. And I just kind of kept getting stuck on this the last few days, this illustration that I had. And, and as I was studying the book of Colossians this week and last week, I just, for me personally, when I say that Christ is all or that Christ is enough, I have to really remember the gospel every single day. Because for me, I like to, I'm kind of hard on myself. I'm kind of a perfectionist. That if I didn't do this 100% right, or if I didn't, if I didn't spend 15 minutes in prayer, or if I didn't read 10 chapters of the Bible, then I'm just blowing it, you know? I'm kind of a perfectionist like that. So I have to remember the gospel every day because I need it every day. So this illustration kept popping in my mind. This, just the other day, I went to go get some deer stands out of the woods, right? I, I like to hunt deer. And so I was hunting in the woods and, and two rivers and the snow was still like almost hip high in some places where the, where the trees were shaded and the snow drift had come through. And while I'm with my buddy and we're going to get these stands out and he's got two boys, one's tall and the other one's a short little guy and I got Rev and my son, he's a little taller. We're walking and we get to the snow and there's a place where the path has already kind of been walked. And you know, and the dad goes walking through and he tells his boy, hey, come with me. It's easier through this path, right? Come with me. Walk in my footsteps, it's easier. But, you know, instead, he's a boy, right? And so he's, I mean, if it's hip high to me, it's chest high to him, and he's hopping through the snow, right? I got to carry Rev on my shoulders because he ain't making it through this. 
And then another time, as it, when it first snowed all that snow, we went sledding, and Nikki was actually following Rick, my father-in-law, and as we're walking up this big hill to go sledding, it's like two degrees outside. She's crying and whining because the snow's so deep and she can't seem to make it through. And so Rick turned and looked behind her, or looked at her, and, she, and he said, just walk where I've already walked. It's much easier. It makes sense. And so in the, in the book of Colossians, and I hope I don't mess this up, but in the book of Colossians, Paul, Paul calls us to walk in Christ. So in light of who he is and in light of what he has done, it's easier and it just makes sense to walk in Christ in the same way. Why, like, why are we going off path instead of just walking where he's already walked? Sometimes we make it so hard on ourselves, but if we would just walk in Christ as he's called us to, it would be a lot easier and trust in him. And so... It's just easier and it seems to make sense to just walk in Christ. And so you who, who have not trusted in Christ to be saved, you who have not come to saving faith, you who are not born again, if there's never been a moment of your life that you bowed your knee to Jesus, why are you kicking against him? Why are you trying to make your own path through the waist-high snow? Why do you keep resisting on the path that you're heading? You'll only continue to remain lost. You'll only continue to struggle it makes more sense for you just to trust in him and walk in the path that he's already walked and for those of us who are christians why is it that we continue to think that our way is better why is it that we're so stubborn and we think that ah god i know that you've already made a path and i know it'd be easier if i just followed in your footsteps but instead i'm gonna struggle over here in the waste high snow why is it that we do that why do we get off the path that he has made and try to make our own? Before long, we're, we're struggling, we're stuck, we're calling for help. Lord, get me out of this mess I'm in right now. In light of who he is, in light of what he's done, because he has made us a new creation, it makes sense to follow him and to just trust that he's enough. And so my closing summary of the book of Colossians, the temptation for us is to attempt to add to what Christ has done subconsciously without even thinking about it we add legalistic weights on our back in the name of being a good christian right and all too often these weights become a measure of performance and and sometimes self-merited grace and paul reminds us in the book of colossians that we can experience true rest in christ because he is all because christ is all made impact every area of our christian lives May our lives indicate that we follow the supreme, sovereign, creator, and sustainer who by the blood of his gruesome cross reconciled us to depraved sinners to the only holy God. And so because of this, may our homes operate in a way that announces that Christ is supreme. And because of this, may our relationships with believers and non-believers be seasoned with salt and be shaped by the irrefutable truth that Christ is all. And I'm super excited to go on this journey through Colossians with you guys. You have no idea how pumped I am to begin to pick this, this book apart verse by verse. And I pray that you guys will join me in this journey through the next coming weeks. And I pray that through this, God will enrich us as a church and will enrich you in your Christian walk. And I pray that if you don't know Jesus today, that sometime over the course of this next few weeks of going through this book, you will come face to face with the creator, sustainer, redeeming jesus and so because christ is all i want to celebrate our opening day as a church so in october of 2021 my wife and i sat in the living room of who would be we weren't like super super close then but now they're like some of our best friends and they're amazing partners in the gospel 
And, and we didn't really know what God had in store for us, but we knew that we were called up here to come and plant a church with, with her mom and her dad, and we knew that we wanted to plant a church too. We didn't know what all it looked like, but we were asking for help, right? And so it started in that little living room. They agreed to partner with us in the gospel. And since then, since that day, we can celebrate 17 months of core team building, of meeting in our homes. We've been meeting in our homes around a grill, around the dinner table, just celebrating Jesus, eating food, going through the word, building a core team, building memories. For 17 months, we've endured in this, creating a family. We're close now. We have memories together. We can celebrate five months of worship nights every single month of of people from different churches coming and leading worship and and helping us um, grow and and cast vision and and lift our voices to the king. We can celebrate two baptisms. We've got the chance to even bury some of the folks' um, families in our church. We've got the chance to go through life together so far. And so we've even finished up 20 weeks of pre-launch Sunday gatherings, you know, people, everybody in my church is like, how many more launches are we going to have? Because we started back in February, you know, but here's, or back in September, we were just building our core team, but we could celebrate 20 weeks of going through our visions and our values and Sunday gatherings together and getting some of the kinks worked out and figuring some things out. We get to celebrate seven plus partner churches here in the area and, and in, uh, in Missouri as well that support us financially, through prayer, um, through participation, sending people, seven plus partner churches. You see, we wanna reach Omaha with the gospel. We want, to see, uh, we, we want to see God's image be restored here in Omaha with a percentage of almost 75 or of over 75% lostness here in this city alone, we have a lot of work to do. And we can't do that by ourselves. That's why we need people to help us and we need to link arms with other churches around the area. Because if we sit on our side of the fence and throw rocks at each other, we'll never reach the city with the gospel. We gotta unite together and go forth on the front, united by the gospel. So there's so much to celebrate. But with that, Joanna, will you please come as I get ready to pray? So much to celebrate, to see what God has done. And I'm grateful. And so, like I said, our church services are gonna be, and I'll tell you guys again in the announcements, at 10 a.m. from now on. And so I I hope and I pray that you guys will come back and that you'll join me in this journey of Colossians that will be enriched together and that will grow together. So let me pray for us, guys. Father, I love you. And I'm grateful that you'd use a, a sinful wretch like me somebody who's just broken, somebody who's weak, somebody who isn't anything lofty or proud, but God, that, you would, that you'd use me. And so, Father, I, I'm thankful that you'd use everybody else here in this room as well, that you've called them here to this place to be a part of this local body, that they've came and they've celebrated and worked with us for, you know, over 20 weeks, over, you know, over the last few years that we've come together to, to launch this church. And so God, we pray now today on February 4th of 2024 for your favor in our church, that God, you would keep us um, from pride, that you would keep us from evil, that God, you would keep us humble and with a heart that cares for your image of, of God here in this city, for those people that you've created in your image, that you'd give us a heart that cares, that you would keep us humble, And that, God, you would help us to grow, not just in number, 
but that you would help us to grow in spiritual maturity. And Father, would we be able to launch leaders out of here, to go and plant more churches, launch leaders out of here, to go and pastor more churches, to go sing at more churches, to be great lay leaders somewhere else. Help us, God, to do what you've called us to do. Keep us humble and protect us from evil. So Father, we pray these things in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.